And so I just want to start by saying thank you to your pastor, Pastor Dion and Laisha. Uh, they, they are family, they are dear friends, but this is family and home for me as well. Uh, many of you have not had the privilege of meeting. I see a lot of new faces in here, and I think that's phenomenal. Just testimony of what God is doing here at Connect Point Church. Last time I was here was in May, uh, spending some time with you guys, and it was a truly an honor. But I left from May to leave and get into our busy summer with Global Passion Ministries. We send hundreds of young people all over the world. Since 2001, we've sent people to 39 countries around the world to serve alongside missionaries and ministry partners. But I want you to know today that the victory through global passion of this summer is yours as well. And so today I want to stand here and share with you some of the things that you accomplished this summer through your giving to Global Passion Ministries. By no means do we think that we're in this alone, that somehow we accomplish it. It is because of our partners like you that we're able to accomplish these great things. And so I just want to share some stories with you this morning um, from this summer of what the Lord did. And then I want to give you a challenging word about living your life for the cause of Christ. Because family, I need to tell you today that you are the answer to people's prayers. That, the, that people have been praying for God to send laborers into the harvest field and you are the response. There is not another answer. You are the answer for Hilo. You are the answer for the big island. You are the answer for God's kingdom in this world. No one else, it's you. And so to this morning, I just wanna share some stories with you about the incredible things that God's done. So we're going to go through some pictures. I'm going to tell you some stories. Hopefully they can encourage you and inspire you. And so the first picture I want to show you <clears throat> is from our trip to Alaska. And there's a young man you're going to see in this picture here praying with someone from the church. And this young man, his name is Rocky. Now, I met Rocky in Houston at National Youth Convention. And in Houston, uh, last year at National Youth Convention, we launched National AIM trips for the first time again in a very long time. If you haven't heard the name AIM, it means Ambassadors in Missions. It's the Youth Missions Initiative for the Assemblies of God. And I have the privilege of helping to oversee and lead a lot of that work that we do with the Assemblies of God nationally. And so I met Rocky in Houston, and we launched this trip to Alaska in Houston last year. And he was moved by God. He said, I have to go and be a part of this trip. Now, what you can't maybe tell in this picture about Rocky is that he's legally blind. And Rocky has several other disabilities that the world would tell him would stop him from being used by God for his kingdom. But Rocky says no. My God is greater than these things, and my God is worthy of being proclaimed everywhere that I go. So Rocky is a spunky preacher, and so Rocky went to Alaska with us this summer, and God used him tremendously to minister in a very small place in the far north of Alaska um, called Point Hope that no one would ever really go to. In fact, you have to take a little plane to get to another city called Kotzebue to take another smaller plane up to Point Hope. It is like above the Arctic Circle kind of stuff. Like, no one goes to Point Hope, but Rocky went this summer, and he's pursuing his call as an evangelist to continue the work that God is using him in. But he, he and his dad came to Alaska and were changed because Global Passion was able to promote these trips and get young people on the field. The next picture you're going to see is my wonderful friend Wendell Mathis. Wendell Mathis um, is actually now a part of the Global Passion team, but this is him in Fiji. And we had a group in Fiji this last summer. We take teams to Fiji every year. So we've been we're doing work in Fiji for almost 20 years now as an organization. And I can genuinely say that the Lord has opened doors for us in Fiji that no one else can go and do what we do in Fiji because there's 20 years of relationship. And as you guys know, that means a lot, especially in Polynesian islands. And so Wendell brought his youth group to Fiji this summer. So he wasn't just there in 
himself, but he was stirred on a mission trip to Ivory Coast the year before with us. It was a leadership trip. And he said, I got to get my students engaged in missions. So he brought some of his young people on this mission trip to Fiji. And Wendell has a passion to preach to young people and to lead them in a growing relationship with Jesus. And so this next picture, he's just there literally talking about Jesus with a group of kids and sharing the good news with them. And Wendell and his wife now are pursuing the calling God has placed on their life into full-time missions, but they've been worried about it. They haven't been sure. They've had to come and see and come and taste, and so they came on mission. They experienced it. Jamie and Wendell Mathis are now coming with us and helping us lead our French trip next summer, and they're bringing their newborn child with them. His name is Zeke. He's the gift of God. They have seven kids now, I believe it is. And so Zeke is the only boy. It's girls, 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 the promise of God, the boy, and Zeke. And so Wendell is very, very excited about having a son. But he wants his family to be raised with the heart of God to serve him in all that they do. So he said, what better way to celebrate his first birthday than on a mission trip? next summer. And so Zeke's coming with us on a mission trip next summer because a youth pastor had an experience coming on a mission trip because of Connect Point Church and your partnership with us. The next few pictures are, you're going to see are from Columbia. Uh, this was the first trip that I had the personal privilege of leading with Global Passion. I took a team of wonderful folks to Columbia to go and serve. If I don't know if I've shared part of this story here, but Global Passion was actually birthed in Columbia in 1995. And so Steve Edwards, my partner in ministry, our founder, was forced to go on a mission trip to Columbia in 1995 by his senior pastor. He was a youth pastor at the church, and Steve went on this mission trip to Columbia in 1995. Over the course of six years, Global Passion eventually was birthed in 2001. But I led this wonderful team, and we had the privilege of serving with a foundation there that cares for children. Uh, it's called, are you ready for it? It's La Fundación de Jesucristo y los Guidiones en Acción. Okay, you guys with me? Si, sí, yo hablo español también. Okay, no problem. I speak Spanish. Um, I'm from Southern California. I travel to a lot of Spanish-speaking countries. But it is a wonderful organization started by a powerhouse woman named Rubiella. I wish I just had time to tell you stories about Rubiella because she is a rock star for the kingdom. But Rubiella, short story, she was a young girl, met Christ under the ministry of our missionary partners in Colombia. And then in her teenage years, she was brainwashed and abducted by the FARC. And if you know what that is, the FARC, it was the militarized arm of the Communist Party in Colombia during those times. Guerrilla warfare, all that stuff, that's these guys. So they end up sending Rubiella out to go to uh, Cuba and different places to be trained, brainwashed, kind of, you know, brought up in this other way of life. And so Rubiella eventually ends up becoming the, number, the bodyguard to the number two person in the FARC. Rubiella was a feared woman. She oversaw an army of 100 assassins. And so this is who this woman was. In that life, God got a hold of her heart. God met her where she was, and she ended up running away from that life. It's a miracle story of how she was able to leave it. She received a presidential pardon in Colombia. I mean, it's crazy stuff. But in that, the Lord developed in her a passion to rescue children that were like her. And so Rubiella started going into these dark places and rescuing children off the streets of Colombia, going out into the jungles. Too many stories to tell, crazy stories of going out into the jungles to these guerrilla units and busting in a room and saying, I'm taking these kids. And the men in that room would fear her because of who she was, because of her past, and because of the God that was with her. Amen. And so she began to rescue these children. Eventually, she ended up having like 35 kids living in her house, um, is what it got to. And so she began to pray. It led to the founding of this wonderful foundation in Colombia. And you guys can kind of see some of the background behind it, like Disney-esque colors and stuff. It is, it is a family 
Um, it's different than anywhere I've ever been in the world. But we got to participate in something so beautiful while I was there in Colombia. And one of the first children that was saved by Rubiella and rescued was, her name is Erica. And some of the other kids as well, that they were young, they now help run the foundation. It's actually really cool. So now they're in their 20s, and now they're serving these other kids. But Erica happened to be getting married. And so while we were there in Colombia, we got to be a part of her wedding um, in Colombia. And it was a beautiful thing to see the fulfillment of what God can do through the simple love of a child. When I asked Rubiella, Rubiella, how can we serve you when we come this summer? She said, will you just come love our kids? We don't have enough people to show them the love that they need. And so a team of us went and lived at a foundation for children and loved on these kids so that one day they could be like Erica, standing up there having her wedding at the foundation. Didn't rent some banquet hall, didn't go anywhere fancy. We did it at the foundation. Um, And so they were thrilled because we just don't even understand all the ceremony of stuff. But they do something really fun in Colombia, and I didn't bring the picture of it just because I didn't want to bring light of it, but Dion's up here talking about me being single and all this stuff. So here's the story. Um, (laughs) So... So they have a tradition in Colombia at a wedding that they do this thing. We do other stuff, but they do a thing where everyone who is single, it's supposed to be the ladies, they all take one of their shoes and they put it under the bride's dress. And so she covers all the shoes as she sits down under her dress, and then the groom reaches in and takes out shoes. The last remaining shoe is the next person who's supposed to be married. We throw the bouquet and stuff, right? That's more normal for us. But that's how they do it in Colombia. But I was there, and they were like, Pastor, Pastor, you put your shoe in. Friends, I have to tell you, I didn't know what I was getting into, okay? I didn't understand the situation, but I realized very quickly that I think it was rigged. Because clearly, if it's all these girls' shoes and then my man's shoe inside there, uh, you know what shoe you're touching, right? And so, um, of course, my shoe was the last shoe that they took out. And so they were like, you're coming back to get married here in Columbia. So there's a lot of places people think I'm getting married right now. Um, I don't know what's true. But after the team left from Columbia, they headed back to Los Angeles um, to their home, and I had the privilege of staying for a couple extra weeks with our missionary partners. Their names are Ramon and Carol Babylonia. Ramon and Carol, actually Carol, started as a young single missionary in Columbia when she was like 19 years old, way back in the day, because now they're about 80 years old. So 60 years ago, Carol went to Columbia as a missionary, and they pioneered a work of helping to build churches all throughout Columbia. Now there's a few hundred churches that are part of this movement of churches in Colombia, and so I simply asked if I could stay and be with them for a couple weeks, because they were staying in Colombia to travel and speak, and they said, yes, we'd love to have you, but it led to some of the coolest moments for me in ministry this summer, and so I want to share this with you, because like I said, all of this is your victory connect point. This isn't anything about global passion. We've just been obedient to what God's asked us, but because you have come alongside us, we're able to do these things, and one thing just really stood out is all of this work. We went to a women's conference. We spoke at a pastor's conference of the gathering, all these pastors from Columbia, God just moving, and I was just honored to even have moments to share, but literally I just carried the anointing oil for Ramon as he prayed for people. I said, just let me be with you. And one day, we got to be on national radio in Columbia, and I was like, what, who are you guys? Like Ramon and Carol, I call them like the godfather and godmother of the church in Columbia. 
And so they were just like, yeah, come, be on our radio program. Come preach everyone in Columbia. And so we got to be on national radio. Um, and what's cool about this is this was kind of a fulfillment for me of something that some people started to speak to me a few years ago about one day you're going to have opportunities like this. I always thought it might be in America. I didn't realize that the first time I ever got to be on the radio was in Colombia, <laughs> on Christian radio. And so it was a phenomenal time in Colombia. After Colombia, um, I had the privilege of, oh, sorry, I got one more picture from Fiji. Um, this young girl that you're going to see next, her name is Katie. And Katie is a part of the young adult ministry that I have the privilege of helping to serve with back home. And Katie went on, to, on this mission trip to Fiji with us this last summer. The, the same, uh, so, yeah, no, sorry, the one after Wendell. We did two trips to Fiji. But Katie came on this trip with us, and it started because we just started to have the conversation, Katie and I, at the Young Adults Ministry, about what she was pursuing. Why are you doing what you're doing? What, what do you want to do in life? What do you really want to, who do you want to be? And so she was pursuing something that her family had really kind of leaned her into. You guys know these moments, right? The pressure of family to go be a certain thing, to go pursue a certain thing in education. So she was going to college, all this. But she grew up going to church. Her father was a youth pastor, and she would just tell me all the time about her passion for missions. Man, God, she used to go on mission trips. God moved so mightily in her life. And I said, Katie, you got to come with us on a trip. And she said, how could I do that? I said, God, <laughs> he provides for those who are called. And so I said, Katie, I really think you should come to Fiji with us. And so Katie came with us to Fiji this last summer, and God rocked her world. She went into these villages throughout Fiji and began to go into homes and got to pray with people, lead people. One day, it was kind of a day off, and her and a few people walked down to the town. It's called Nambualu in Fiji, and there's a little shop there, but there's a little hospital up on the hill. And they went down to the shop to buy some snacks, and her and the team, the few folks they were with and the Fijians, they said, hey, why don't we just go to the hospital and pray for people? No one told them to do it. Steve was leading that trip. No one, like, directed them into this. They just kind of were stirred by the Spirit of God and to do something they'd never done before. And so this group of people goes up into this hospital, and Katie, for the first time ever in her life, goes into a hospital and starts to lay hands and pray on people. She had never really done this before. And God moved, and one person gave their life to Christ that Katie prayed for. And she was blown away that God could use her in any way like that. She just didn't think she was worthy of being used by God. But Katie went to Fiji, was used by God, and now is pursuing a life going towards missions and ministry that God has always ordained for her. Amen? But it all happened through a moment on a missions trip in Fiji. The last huge thing that we were part of this summer that you were part of with us was Reach Orlando. Reach Orlando was the national aim outreach that happened during National Youth Convention. If you guys aren't familiar with this, every year the Assemblies of God hosts their National Youth Convention. And we have thousands of young people come together, and there's two things that happen at the same time. One of them is National Fine Arts. And you guys had some great people go out to National Fine Arts. I actually saw some of my Connect Point family in Orlando, so that was really cool. Real briefly, because I was running around everywhere like crazy. Um, but we also host a mission trip that happens during that week. And so Reach Orlando took place, and we had 187 people serving with us in the city of Orlando with ministry partners, ministry sites, serving, reaching out. And there are so many, I just don't have enough time to tell you all of the Reach Orlando stories. There was too much stuff going on. We had teams at ministry sites every single day. They were out serving. We'd come back together for the National Youth Convention service. But here are just a few of the things that we did while we were there in Orlando. The first is we hosted a mega sports camp. 
at a local church. And so we came alongside them. They said, we'd always wanted to do something like that, but we've never had the volunteers to pull it off. Anyone in Kidsman says, amen. You know what that's like. Man, you always need more volunteers. And so we said, well, we'd love to come alongside you and help do that. And so we hosted their first ever mega sports camp at their church that week. And it was a phenomenal time. Another thing that we did is we uh, trained and equipped prayer teams to just go out on the streets of Orlando and pray over people. In fact, there was one moment where a prayer team was going out that literally I mean, it was not like we were going after this, but literally handled a snake because there was a dude on the road that had a giant snake <laughs> that he was just like paying. You know how that, I don't know if you've been to Orlando, but a lot of people are like, hey, look, I have a giant animal. You can come play with it, but give me $5 for the picture kind of thing. And so he was out there, but they got to pray for him. And we had students just like this walking down the streets of Orlando, praying for people believing God for miraculous moments. I mean, and some bold moments. They got to pray for construction workers. They got to pray for police officers, people there. It was a phenomenal time. We also sent teams to go work alongside local schools and ministries. There was this area that we went to go work in called Bithlow. And if you want to go look it up, you should check it out. It's outside Orlando, but it's this weird community that the city does not take ownership of anymore. So it's kind of like this slum that exists where kind of anything goes. And in the middle of this place, there's this compound where they reach out to the children. They reach out to the families. They're trying to restore the city of Bithlow. And at this place, they have a school. And so one of the things that our team got to go do is help them prepare for school starting. Literally, friends, I need to tell you, if our team had not shown up to come and serve with them, kids would not have been able to go into their classrooms that next week at this school in Bithlow because they were an absolute mess. They were full of things. The I mean, it was just so much clutter, so many things, and they just don't have the staff to pull it off because their staff has to go work other jobs to provide for themselves. They don't get paid from the school stuff. They're there to serve the community, to bless them. And our team got to come in and do simple things like sorting through boxes of crayons and papers and getting classrooms ready for students to come back for school starting that next week. We also got to partner alongside Convoy of Hope. We love Convoy of Hope. I know you guys love Convoy of Hope. And we got to host a community outreach event one day. And so we had teams bag thousands of bags of groceries and we did water balloon fights and free food and all of this and had a block party event at the same church where we did the mega sports camp. And so we got to reach out. We got to take cool pictures in front of the convoy truck because that's just what you do when you do a convoy outreach, just so you know. Um, but it was a phenomenal time partnering with Convoy and one really special moment that really moved me is we had a group of people going to serve at a local high school. And you're going to see a little video here. Just The people in the red shirts are the ones doing work at the high school. And so it's just kind of a quick glance over of their athletic area. But we went to this local high school. So on Saturday of our outreach event, we had the convoy block party going on. And we had two different teams serving at local high schools, helping to do work with them as well. And this particular team was at a high school in a pretty low-income area, and they came alongside through the local church. That's one of our biggest things. We come alongside the local church so that they can be the hero in what we do. And they came just to do some simple work. We painted, we cleaned banners, we hung stuff up, we got them ready for the school year at this school too. And there's this phenomenal facilities director at this school that works at the athletic department. I, I don't even remember his name, and I'm sorry that I don't. But this guy right here with the cap on, and he was so blessed by this moment. Because what you have to know is that the, the work that our team came to do with him, he would have spent the next three months on his own taking care of. Every single day working eight hours a day. And in one day, our team was able to come and bless him so that he could actually focus on the things he wanted to focus on. 
that he could actually focus on investing in some students, investing in the school, investing in development and resource and growing, all because some young people said yes to God's call to come and just help do some simple work. And I mean, it was simple, but it was hard because Orlando is hot. Any of you guys that went there, you knew it was hot, it was humid there. But man, we served, we went. And so I share all of this, and I thank you for sticking with me in it, because I want you to know about the impact that you are making. Because this is your victory. The 187 young people in Orlando is your victory. The story of Katie is your story. The story of Wendell is your story. The story of Erica is your story, because you are a part of everything that God is doing in the kingdom through Global Passion Ministries. And I need you to capture that today because I want to get into God's word because I believe in the power of it. And Pastor Ben, I mean, thank you for the plug of God's word because this is so crucial. I, I don't know, I like numbers and stuff, I think practically. Did you, with my Bible in my hand right here, if I wanted to read my Bible four times through every single year, I only have to read 12 pages a day. That blows my mind when I think about it. Sometimes it seems daunting to really dig into God's word. But if I just read 12 pages a day, I'd read my entire Bible four times every year. That's a pretty powerful thought for me. So I want to open up God's word and share out of Matthew chapter 9 with you today. But before I do, can we pray? Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for all of the incredible things that you have done in and through Connect Point Church. Lord, may we never forget the amazing things that you have done in this place. Lord, today I pray that you would speak to us, that you would stir our hearts. Oh God, that we would not leave this place the same, but we would leave inspired and filled with your spirit, ready to accomplish your work in this world. So Lord, speak to us, I pray. May we have ears to hear, may we have hearts to receive. Lord, I know my words are inadequate, so I ask God that you would speak through me to your people. Lord, speak to us through your word. And God, may we surrender all that we are to you. So Lord, help us to meet you here, I pray. And the family said, amen. Matthew chapter 9 says this in verses 35 to 38. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send laborers into his harvest field. Friends, the first thing that Jesus is talking about in this passage is that we have to pray. The message of global passion for so many years has been really simple. We have to pray, we have to give, we have to go. And so we have to pray. In the passage we just read, you saw it in verse 38. It says, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send laborers, workers into his harvest field. What I love about Jesus, I hope you can catch this here, is before he ever gave the command to go in Matthew chapter 28, he first went. Are you with me, friends? Before he ever gave the command to go, he first went. He set the example. He showed us what it was like. In fact, I was dwelling on this this morning during worship, that John 3.16 is one of the most fantastic missions verses that ever exists. It says, for God so loved the world that he, what? Sent, gave his only son. Isn't that a really profound thought, that God himself chose to go on a mission trip down to earth? 
You ever thought of it? He chose to go into a place, to live a life, to set an example so that others could live like him, so that others could come to know him, so that others could become disciples. And before he left earth, he sent us to continue the work that he began when he came in the form of Christ Jesus and walked on this earth. I love it. And so the first thing he tells us to do is he sees that there is a plentiful harvest. He says we have to first pray. We have to ask the Lord of the harvest to send out the workers. The second thing that we have to do in order to accomplish this purpose is give. We have to give to the work of the kingdom. In Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, it says this, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We can't just pray. We also have to give. But friends, I have to tell you today that as long as I've lived with the Lord, I am convinced, I am convinced that he settles for no less than everything. He settles for no less than everything. It is really hard for me to open up my Bible and just find the place where he says, I can just give a little bit of me. I can just give a little bit of what I have. Because when I read the words of Christ, when I see his life, I am compelled to give everything that I can. And I've chosen to live that life. I think I shared some of this last time I was here, but when I was 16 years old, I got saved in church when I was 14. Free pizza, invitation, long story, that's how it all happened. But at 16 years old, two, two years after I first became a fan of Jesus, I loved Jesus at 14, man. I, I was sold out. I was repping his colors. I was telling people about him. I was on the worship team, the drama team. I was at church all the time. I was doing the Christian life. But at 16 years old, I sat in a service and I held communion in my hands. And I prayed a prayer and I said, Lord, this is my covenant with you. Wherever you send me, I will go. Whatever you ask me to say, I will say. Whatever you ask me to do, I will do. This is my covenant with you. And I took that moment really seriously, and so did God. And ever since then, my prayers began to change. I no longer prayed, Lord, here are the things that I'd really like to do. Help me to do them for you. I started to pray, Lord, what would you have me do? Lord, what do you want me to do? And he said, give me all of you. And I said, yes, Lord. I love this song, As You Find Me by Hillsong United. If you haven't heard it, please go listen to it today. It's absolutely phenomenal. But there's a line in that song that's just been resounding in my heart. And it says, if this borrowed breath is yours, Lord, take it all. Wow. If this borrowed breath is yours, Lord, take it all. Such a powerful thought that God breathed life into us. It's not even ours in the first place. It's always been his. So have you been holding back from him what is already his, what he's already freely given to you? I'm convinced that he requires no less than everything. And because of that, the last thing that Jesus talks about through Matthew 9, but also Matthew 28, is that we have to go. We pray because there is an incredible need. I, friends, we get contacts from missionaries all the time saying, please come help. We need help. We need teams. We need people. And so often we have to say no because we don't have enough people to send. We don't have people coming up saying yes to it. We don't have people that are willing to go to the hard places. I received an email when I was in Ethiopia back in September and, um, from some friends of mine in Russia. 
part of Live Dead. And they were in a prayer meeting, and as they were praying, they said, my name came up. And I was like, that terrifies me a little bit, because you guys do some serious stuff for the Lord. Um, and they said, we are praying about this work we want to start in a place that I can't actually tell you the name of. But we want to start a work here, and we really think that you're supposed to help us accomplish this. And so they said, would you come with us in April to this place? We can't go there as missionaries. We can't go there as Christians. We can't go there as pastors. We're going to go with a tour company. We'd really like you to come just to pray with us as we travel around this area. And first I was a little terrified. <laughs> but then I also said, my answer is yes. Of course I will. And I called my partner in ministry, Steve. I told him about the situation. And, he, and I said, this is the first moment in my life I've really felt like Steve Edwards because this kind of stuff happens to him all the time. Um, and I said, this is a Steve moment for me. Um, but it was a God moment. But why would I be willing to go into a place where literally if someone knew I was a Christian, they might shoot me? Because it's not my life in the first place. It's always been his. It's never been mine. It's foolishness for me to think that somehow I've ever been in control of this life. That somehow it's ever been mine to hold or to grasp to. It's always been his since the beginning. And so we have to not just pray. We have to be willing to give. And when I say give, I don't just mean your money. Yes, we should give of our finances. We should give of the treasure that God has given us. But I want to challenge you today to give of yourself. You might come into this place and go, I have no money to give. Cool, get in line with me, because me neither. <laughs> I'm a missionary. I got nothing. <laughs> God is faithful to me. But I have myself. I have my home. I have my car. I've lived in host homes for five years. I was a youth pastor before I joined Global Passion. In 2014, I gave away all my things. I, put them, I packed up into three plastic totes, two bags of clothes, and I drove eight hours north to, with a place to stay for 30 days and $100 in monthly support as a new missionary at Global Passion. I've lived in host homes, spare bedrooms of people's houses for the last five years. The car has been given to me. I walked for a year and a half and rode the bus because I didn't have a car. And I said, Lord, if you don't want me to have it, then I guess I don't need it because you'll bring it to me. And one day sitting in the church, a car drove into the parking lot and I said, I guess this must be the car God's bringing me. And I would just jokingly said that. The person was actually there to donate the car to the church that we're a part of. And the next day the pastor called me and said, do you want a car? And I said, yeah, thank you. <laughs> And then I was having lunch with a friend in a small group I was leading, and at lunch that day, he handed me keys to a newer car because he said, you can't drive your 97 Lincoln Town car all over the place, which was true. I could drive it around town. It was a nice ride, but it wasn't good for long trips. So he gave me a new car, and then I was able to, for the first time ever, give a car to someone else. It was the coolest thing. I had two cars for a minute. I was living the big-time life. I was like, whoa, <laughs> town car and the 2010 Ford Focus. Look at me. Wow, and it had like the, I, I, rent, I rent cars a lot, so it gives me the fix of coolness in new cars, right? But the, I got into the Ford Focus, and it had Bluetooth, and I was like, whoa, I got upgraded, man. Look at this. This is incredible. But then I was able to bless someone else with another car. I don't share this with you to try to build myself up. I just need you to know that that kind of life is possible for you. The kind of life is possible where everything is his, it's not yours, and that you're not holding so tightly to it that he can't take it from you. And it's not just your possessions, it's not just your money, it's your life too. So who are you living for today? Are you living for yourself? Are you living for your kids? Are you living for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? <clears throat> you know these words in Matthew 28. Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything that I've commanded you. Teaching them everything that I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I have to ask you, are you making disciples? Are you living a life that you can echo the words of Christ and of Paul when they said, come follow me? I've been studying that recently. How did Jesus actually make disciples? He went up to people and he said, come follow me. It's a really powerful thought, isn't it? Because here's the thing, Matthew 28 tells me that disciples make disciples. The mark of a disciple of Christ, can I use another word, a follower? I think, friends, that there's a lot of fans of Jesus in our churches today. You guys know the difference, yeah, a fan. We're fans of sports teams, other things. Fans root for the same thing. Fans like to rep the colors. Fans like to talk the language. Fans like to get together. Fans like to show up and participate in the events about the ones that they're fans of. But when they walk out the doors and times get hard, they're not actually a follower. Because you can be the fan of every sports team you want to, but you're not out on the field with them. You're not actually playing the game. You think we're, man, I, I'm a Green Bay Packers fan. I love the Green Bay Packers. But I'm not a Green Bay Packer right? I'm just a guy that likes them. Like, I'm not playing football. I'm not on the field with them right now. I'm just a fan of the Green Bay Packers. And so today, I want to challenge you in this thought. Are you just a fan of Jesus, or are you actually a follower? Because a follower of Jesus makes disciples. A follower of Jesus gives away everything that they have so that there's no need among them. A follower of Jesus walks out these doors and says, God, what are you up to? How can I partner with you? Then when you walk into the grocery store, you pray that prayer, Lord, what are you up to here? And you might just find yourself praying over someone in the ice cream aisle for healing. If you're a follower of Jesus. But if you're a fan, you're too busy with your shopping list to notice the people around you. So are you a fan? Are you a follower of him? Jesus said it this way in Matthew 16. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Have you fully surrendered your life to the Lord? Jesus is pretty clear in Matthew 16. He says, if you want to be my disciple... If you want to, that word is really important to me because he doesn't say when you choose it. He says, if you want to, I'm not going to force you. I'm not going to make you. You don't have to, but if you want to, can I just tell you how it looks? If you want to do this, now if you back up in Matthew 16, you guys can check out the context of it. It's right after that moment, right, where Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Jesus just predicted his death, and they're like, we're going to go with you wherever. And he's like, you don't even know what you're talking about, man. You don't even know what the cost of this thing really is. And he looks at his disciples in this moment, and he says, let me tell you what the cost is. First, you have to deny yourself. First, you have to decide that, my, that my, our Father's will in heaven is more important to you than your life. It's more important to you than anything you think or that you want. First, you've got to choose to deny yourself. First, you've got to realize that your life is not your own, that it's always been his. You've got to deny yourself. Then after you've done that, then you can pick up your cross. 
Now, we talk about picking up our cross a lot as being willing to go die with Jesus on the cross. But friends, I want to give you a deeper perspective, I think, that's here. And it's this, is picking up your cross doesn't just mean being willing to die for Jesus. In fact, being willing to die for Jesus isn't as hard as being willing to live for him. And picking up your cross doesn't mean having the willingness just to die upon it. It means that you are willing to do whatever it takes to accomplish the purpose that God has given you in your life. For Jesus Christ, it was the salvation of man. And he was willing to do whatever it took by picking up his cross and bearing the burden. And Jesus is saying to you today once more, again, are you willing to pick up your cross to do whatever it takes to fulfill the call and the vision that I have given to you? Not to your pastor, not to your church, but out of God's word to you. There is a powerful moment in Joshua chapter 24, and we're going to close in just a moment. I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. But in Joshua 24, Joshua is near the end of his life. Some of you, I'm sure, are aware of the story of Israel back then. Joshua led them into the promised land. He became the leader after Moses. All this stuff is going on. Joshua at the end of his life. He gathers all the people together in a place called Shechem. And he gathers the leaders together first and all of the people. And he gets before them. And he first, you can read the passage. I don't have time to read it to you today. But he first speaks to them and he reminds them of all the incredible things that God has done. He reminds them of everything that he did taking them out of Egypt, caring for them in the wilderness, delivering them not by their own sword, but through the power of God of all the armies around them, he reminds them that it was not of your own might or your own strength, but it was God himself that has brought us to this place. And he reminds them of all the incredible things that God has done. Why did I stand up here today to tell you of all the incredible things God has done through you this summer? Because I need to remind you of what he's done. Because I knew that I was gonna stand here today and I was gonna ask you the question that says, choose this day whom you will serve. Because Joshua says, you can choose the idols of the land. You can choose the gods of your ancestors. You can choose yourself. You can choose money. You can choose career. You can choose all of these other things. But there is only one worth choosing. And he says, you choose today who you want to serve. And as for me and my house, we're going to serve him. And so today I need to challenge you with when you walk out of these doors, who are you choosing to serve today? Are you choosing to serve your career? Are you choosing to serve your passions? Are you choosing to serve your family? Are you choosing to serve anything else above your God? Now here's what's powerful in Joshua 24, is when Joshua gives this decree, he, he, he shouts out from the mountaintop, choose this day whom you will serve. The people's first response is, of course we will serve the Lord our God. And Joshua looks at them and he says, no, you can't. You're not able to. You're not actually willing to do it because you have to understand the cost of your choice. The cost of your choice is that if you declare that you are serving him and giving your life to him, then you are being the witness to yourself that he is now the judge over you when you choose not to. And he says, our God is a righteous judge and he does not give grace when you have made this kind of commitment. He says, if you are choosing him, you gotta know that if you go back on it, that if you run away from this, if you continue in a lifestyle of sin and treachery, worshiping the gods of your ancestors, you will find yourself in the punishment of him at one point. And the people then cry out and they say, far be it from us to not serve our God. We choose him today. 
And Joshua says, so be it. And he sets a stone up. And he says, this stone will be the witness to you of what you have declared today. So friends, I present to you this altar of your church at Connect Point. I present to you the place that will remind you of a commitment I'm going to ask you to make today. I present to you the thing that you will see every time you drive down this street in Hilo to remind you of a decision you're making to say, my life is no longer my own. Lord, I'm giving it to you. So who are you choosing to serve? Because friends, I got to tell you, it's too important. It's too important to not take this seriously. It's not the job of a pastor to lead people to Jesus. It's the job of disciples. Did you know the word missionary? I can't find it in here. I've been looking for it. It doesn't exist, but the word disciple does. A person who's fully sold out to fulfilling their life and doing what God has asked of them, I find that kind of word in here, that kind of life. So this morning, here's what I wanna do. We're gonna have a moment to respond, to worship, to step out of our seats and make a declaration if that's, if you're comfortable with that. But I want everyone just to close your eyes for a moment bow your heads I want you to begin to think about all of the things that God has done for you and through you I want you to think about right now the things that maybe you have given that maybe are in the way of you fully surrendering to him I want you to bring to mind maybe some of the things that you need to let go of today to declare that he is truly the Lord of your life And so this morning, as you search your hearts, I want to give the invitation for those. No matter where you are on your journey, if this is your first time in this church and you are first hearing about this kind of life of surrender that you could give, or you've been serving him for 50, 60, 70 years, no matter where you are on this journey with the Lord, today I want to give you the invitation just to one more time say, God, I'm all in. I'm all in, Lord. My life is yours. My treasure is yours. My time is yours. Everything I have is yours. Lord, use me. I'm declaring one more time today that I will serve you and commit myself to you.